This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am Gwen Cooper, your host. Delighted, as always, to be here with you today. And I suppose, uh, given the weekend that we are coming out of, the the big holiday weekend here in the States that leads is in a kind of segue, or not even a kind of segue, is a direct segue into the larger holiday season So I will say that not only am I delighted to be here with you today, I am grateful to be here with you today. We, of course, just finished a Thanksgiving, uh, celebrated this past weekend. Uh, For those of you who do celebrate, and I I think, although there's a significant minority of my listenership that comes from outside the United States, most of you are here in the U.S. with me. And so hopefully you all had good Thanksgivings and some good family time and Ate some good food. We certainly did. I have a little bit of a food hangover here at the end of this weekend. Um, But gratitude is going to kind of be the theme of today's show. Gratitude and and lack of gratitude. Oh, so yeah, we're going to be dishing a little dirt later or, or telling a story. Telling, I think, an interesting story that I have been thinking of recently, and we'll be curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. Uh, those of you who comment and email and respond to things you hear in the podcast, and by the way, I certainly, and, and I have not done a good job of articulating this recently, but by all means, I certainly love to hear from you guys. I love to hear feedback. No, Nobody goes public with anything, not a podcast, certainly not books that they write, without wanting to hear some kind of feedback uh, from the people who are reading them or listening to them or what have you. So please feel free to reach out with your insights and let me know what you think. I am always, always, always... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I I rely on your wisdom. Our collective head is oftentimes better and more insightful than just my head alone. So I always like hearing what you guys have to say. But anyway, now I'm getting really far afield from the big topic of this week, which is that I have a new book um, that if you are a regular listener outside of my Patreon. The people in my Patreon community get the pot get to hear the podcast a little bit early. If you are not a part of my Patreon community, if you are hearing this podcast on Tuesday, November 29th for the first time, then congratulations. You are hearing this podcast on the launch day of my new book. And that book, of course, is called You Are Possum. 75 Reasons Why Your Cats Love You and Why Loving Them Back Makes You a Better Human. And thanks to my amazing, amazing Patreon community, I was able to hire a phenomenal cover designer to give this book a really spiffy, really fun, really lovely cover. I think it's going to make a wonderful gift, a little stocking stuffer for the cat lover in your life. If you buy the book today, 
Tuesday, November 29th. You can get 50% off the ebook price and 33% off of the paperback price. That's one third off. So the ebook is only going to cost you $4.99 and the paperback is only going to cost you $9.99, which makes it a perfect $10, $10 stocking stuffer. And it, of course, pairs very nicely with its companion book, Possum. One hundred uh, head bonks, raspy tongues, and one hundred and one reasons why cats make us so so happy. And again, I had the same cover designer work on both books, so they look very nice together. And yeah, I'm I'm just really excited about this one, uh, both because it is my first new book um, in a little while, and also because I I really see this as my love letter to the cat lovers. I've written so many books about how amazing my cats are about how amazing cats are in general. I certainly believe every word of it. But of course, where would the cats of the world be without people like all of you listening to love them and rescue them and to give them the amazing homes and lives that they deserve to have? And it is certainly high time that somebody celebrated you all as well. And so that's what this book is. This is is really a love letter to to so many of the people who've taken the time over the years to to send me letters or comment on things on social media or reach out to me or simply those who do me the honor of reading the books that I write which is of course always the the highest honor that that any writer could ask for so that book is available now and i encourage you to grab it while you are out and about uh, picking up some of your other holiday gift, uh, well, your other holiday gifts. And, you know, it's interesting. I was watching a, a Chewy commercial yesterday. And of course, today, as I'm recording this, is Cyber Monday. So it's going to be a big online shopping day. And Chewy was, it was advertising all of these sales, you know, things you can stock up when you are buying your holiday gifts for your cats. And I, I have to admit, and this is something I'd be curious to know. So I've never been a big holiday gift for the cats kind of a person, uh, mostly because I, I shower my cats with gifts on a fairly regular basis. Uh, I don't avoid giving them gifts on the holidays. I just don't make a special point of giving them holiday gifts because I, they don't know that it's the holidays. And at least from my cat's perspective, I feel like for them, if if insofar as they register anything celebratory on Thanksgiving or or Christmas or the first night of Hanukkah or any holiday meal or celebration that we may have in this home, it's that we eat special foods and then we give them some of those special foods. So Clayton, for example, who loves turkey, turkey is just about his favorite thing in the world. So he has had a phenomenal weekend because, of course, like everybody else, we had way too much turkey at Thanksgiving. There was a lot of it left over. And so we have been busily making that into meals and supplements and treats for the cat, um, who obviously <laughs> cannot eat the better part of a 20-pound turkey himself, but can certainly help us dispense with at least some of the leftovers. Um but I'm not a, you know, oh, it's it's Christmas, so I'm going to buy a brand new um, cat tree for my cat. Let me see what they have on Chewy. You know, not and and I'm not saying anything against that, by the way. Everybody has their own traditions. And, and again, I think we all, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a reasonable chance that you spoil your cat on a fairly regular basis anyway. Um, but I am curious to know how many of you actually get specifically holiday gifts for your cats. 
Um, I, I did used to get holiday gifts for Homer, but that was only because Homer took so much joy in unwrapping things. And so part of that was to make him happy. And part of that was to keep him from unwrapping our holiday gifts, which I could never hide well enough to keep them from Homer. I mean, I finally, you know, I did find, especially as he got older, he was a little bit less agile. I found very high top shelves and closets where I could put wrapped gifts and keep them out of Homer's reach. Uh, But for the most part, it was easier to bribe him with gifts of his own. And of course, if I was going to go to the trouble of wrapping a, a a box in wrapping paper for Homer, I was, of course, going to put something inside the box to make it worth his while for having expended the effort. Although I really think that just shredding up the wrapping paper was the whole point of the exercise. Um, but I would put like catnip toys and treats and things like that into a wrapped box so that he would be drawn to that wrapped box and not to the other wrapped holiday gifts and and there would be something to keep him occupied while he tried to figure out how to get the catnip from inside the box outside the box. So it was a, a good distraction for a, a high energy mischievous little cat who loved the holidays uh, but did not <laughs> did not always participate in them in ways that were conducive to everybody else's enjoyment. And and I guess I may as well here plug my book, Homer and the Holiday Miracle, for those of you who are not familiar with it. That's another little $9.99 um, stocking stuffer kind of a book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to check it out. It's it's just a little thing, a little holiday story. Um, but I enjoyed writing it and and sharing it with everyone. And yeah, so the part of the, sh- the podcast, I'm sure you'll be relieved to hear where I plug my own books, has mercifully come to an end. And that means that we are going to be heading into the next part of our podcast, where I'm going to be telling a a little bit of a story, um, just to see what your opinion, what, what what the collective wisdom of the crowd is here. And for those of you who were listening last week, that that weird little spike in, in listenership that kept me from telling this story last week um, it seems to have subsided. I think it was just some, I don't know, some sort of a bot thing, maybe. Apparently, this has happened to a lot of podcasters who use the Acast, which is my podcasting platform. Um, this is something they're trying to figure out. But anyway, the point being that there does not seem to be some mysterious influx of, of 14,000 random new listeners whose interests or intentions I, I have no gauge on and, and which would therefore kind of inhibit some of the stories I might want to tell. It is it is back to being just us, those of us who are already friends and know each other and, and like spending time together. So that, of course, is always nice. And so, yeah, again, this is all by way of saying that I'm going to be coming back after a short break with the story to tell. So sit back, relax, get comfortable and stick around for another 30 seconds or so when we will be back with more Curl Up With a Cattail. sticking around. So we're actually going to begin this section of the podcast not talking about cats. Uh, I have have a a brief sort of introductory story to tell because it's the thing that has put the larger story 
on my mind of late. Uh, so I was reading a, a book recently that had a chapter about a man named Varian Fry. If you have never heard of Varian Fry, do not feel bad. Most people have not. But Varian Fry is, is someone he's often referred to as the American Oscar Schindler. And he was a man during World War II who was in his mid-20s. And to make a very long story very short, he put together a team of people who helped rescue many hundreds of the greatest Jewish thinkers, painters, writers, scientists, philosophers from Nazi Germany and from German-occupied countries. And I, I always say, like, the movie pitch of his life would be um, Schindler's List meets Ocean's Eleven, only because it, it was not just him. He really did put together this team of specialists. He had one guy who was his black market guy who knew all the, the who knew how to ferret out information and resources in, in the kind of seedy underworld and could get fake, uh, fake passports and visas for people who they were trying to smuggle out. Uh, there was one woman, an American heiress, actually, who both provided funding and was also something of a of a Matahari type. And for example, when Mark Chagall was arrested by Nazis and put into a concentration camp with his family, she was the one who was able to to persuade the head guard at the camp to release him in exchange for a date with her. I, I believe there's actually a, a novel out loosely based on her called The Postmistress. That is supposed to be really interesting and and kind of a big bestseller. But anyway, so so this guy he he rescued. Um, he was responsible for putting together this this group of people who who at extreme personal peril, I might add, rescued hundreds, if not thousands, of of Jewish artists, intellectuals, thinkers, etc., from Nazi Germany. Some of the people he rescued: um, Hannah Arendt, Mark Chagall. Max Ernst, Claude Levi-Strauss. Uh, it, it really is a very long list. I, I do not want to bore you with it. If you are interested in looking it up, I encourage you to do so. It's a fascinating story. Uh, again, the man's name is Varian Fry, and that's V-A-R-I-A-N, and the last name is F-R-Y. Uh, and a dear old friend of mine who I've not spoken with in, in quite a few years, but wrote a biography on him back way back in in the late 90s early aughts a a a very talented writer named andy marino and if you are listening to this podcast hello i hope all is going well anyway um so the reason why varian fry becomes relevant as as a sort of introduction to the story i wanted to tell today is because later in his life um he was down on and and he had a lot of personality issues it's it's you know, now the thinking is that he may have had, you know, undiagnosed bipolar disorder or something to that effect. But he had a lot of ups and downs in his life. Um, and and eventually he was pretty down on his luck, mostly due to his inability to hold a job. Uh, a fate that has befallen me, by the way, which is because I am clearly unemployable, is one of the main reasons why I became a writer. So sometimes it all works out for the best. Um but yes, he he had a very difficult time. And so he was trying to put together a book about his experiences rescuing all these people from Nazi Germany, which was probably the 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 highlight of his own life, although obviously not for the lives of the people he rescued. Um, and he went to many of the, you know, to the, the these extremely famous, well-known writers, artists, thinkers, uh, especially in their own time, there there are a lot of um 
people who I'm not mentioning simply because they were famous in their own time, but they wouldn't be well known now. But huge New York Times bestselling authors who had books that were on on the, the bestseller list for months or years at a time were also among those whom he had saved. And he tried to get all of these people, including, you know, a, a Chagall and, and an Ernst to contribute something to a book that he was putting together about this rescue effort. And not only did did nobody contribute anything or or finally after he harassed them extensively a couple of people contributed a little something that wasn't worth much i think um chagall contributed an unsigned sketch which you know not being signed by chagall obviously makes it inherently worth much less than it would otherwise be um but not only did did people not contribute anything they they didn't even respond to his requests. And it was very frustrating to read about this, I mean, because these were people whose lives he had saved, who were alive because of him, and who now would not give him the time of day. And it, it was um, it was distressing for me as a Jew, to tell you the truth, to to read about it. You, you like to think, I mean, I understand maybe there's no such thing as a perfect victim, but you would like to think that that um yeah it, it i did not you know it's it's a, oh as a jew it's wonderful to hear stories of jews who were saved from the holocaust not so wonderful to hear about them kind of being dicks to, to pardon my language to the person who saved them and it, so it was interesting but the person who was writing about this had interviewed um I, well, I forget who she interviewed but she was speaking to someone about this phenomenon of all these people whose lives this one man was directly or indirectly responsible for saving and now could not be bothered to contribute uh, all these years later anything to a book he was putting together about about having saved them. And the insight that she got from this person she was talking to, and I thought it was interesting, was that to the effect that that gratitude is ultimately something that will lead the person who has to be grateful to despise the one they have to be grateful to. Um, and I thought that that was sort of an interest. I don't know if that, how true I think that is, but I think there's probably something there. And again, keeping in mind that Varian Fry was writing this book about what was for him, the signal accomplishment of his life. Whereas for these people whom he saved, it's not just that it was a terrifying ordeal for them and, and certainly not the signal accomplishment of their own lives, but these were people who were famous and had attained some wealth, some power, some some cultural significance, and who now were reduced to a state where, I mean, and this guy was nobody, Varian Fry, when he came onto the scene. He was a 25-year-old with some friends and a crazy dream, and and that's it. And so to have to put themselves in the hands of of this, this pisher, you know, in some cases 30, 40 50 years younger than they were. And, and so, I mean, this, this was the argument that, that being too indebted to someone can lead you to resent them. And, and I believe that there is probably some truth in that. Um, but the, the, and on the subject of gratitude, I guess, which is in keeping with Thanksgiving weekend, as I was reading this, it called to mind a, a story from my own recent past um, that some of you might know a part of, but I would be curious to hear your thoughts. And and this was something that happened in 2015. Um, and it began as as so many things do for me with an email from a a reader and and well wisher, I guess, on on social media. 
A woman who runs in a rescue organization, was running at the time a rescue organization in Texas, um, but somehow had become aware, uh, she she traveled a lot for her work and had become aware of a hoarding situation in West Virginia. There were some 40 cats and kittens um, who were about to be removed by the state from the hoarder's home. And... She had been trying first desperately to find, I mean, to her her own rescue organization was very, very small, physically very small in, in terms of space. There were only so many that she would be able to take. And so she was first she was trying to find, um, you know, raise money to get the cats vetted. And she was trying to find people who would be willing to foster or other rescue organizations who would help her take them in. Um, nobody was coming through. There, there was, she was unable to find any assistance. And finally, she started putting out a plea trying to raise money to at least have the, the cats and kittens humanely euthanized. You know, if what it was going to come down to is that the state was going to take them and put them down anyway, then she at least wanted to be able to take them to a vet's office and, and hold them in her arms um, rather than having them just shoved into a gas chamber. And she had so she had put out this request, and because she was trying to raise money to have the cats euthanized, um, she suddenly had become the subject of a lot of online dragging. She, I mean, this was maybe a, a few years before we talked about cancel culture, but she was experiencing some of that mob mentality where people who had done nothing whatsoever to help her and had in their indifference kind of driven her to this I, admittedly, I mean, horrifying, but understandable. I totally understood where she was coming from, where at a certain point, you're just trying to salvage the bare minimum that that will bring some humanity into a horrible situation. And the people who had nothing to say of any assistance when she was asking for help for better outcomes were now right there to tell her what a terrible, terrible human being she was for for having come up with this solution that even though they had no better solution they knew this one was terrible and she was a terrible person for having it as as you can see this is exactly the kind of thing that that enrages me i don't like online mobs i don't like any kind of mob to begin with i should say even when i agree with the mob even if i'm of the opinion that the mob has it right and the target of their ire has it coming I just don't like a mob. I, I think it brings out the what is absolutely ugliest in human nature, even when it's deployed for some quote unquote noble purpose. Um, I don't think anything genuinely good comes out of it. I don't like being a part of a mob. And I and and I also just my years of nonprofit have really brought me to a place and we've talked about this before where I despise people who have no help to offer you. But we'll be right there to tell you everything you're doing wrong. Here's a hint. If you don't have a solution, it's not a problem. If you don't have a solution, it's not a problem. Or certainly it's not your problem. So sorry, <laughs> as I'm getting angry talking about this. But anyway, so you can see how events sort of conspired where I look, I, I get more sad letters than I can can do anything about. I, you know, I, I, there's only so much that I can do for a variety of reasons. There's only so much I can come to you guys with and expect for assistance to be there. So I do have to pick and choose where I think we can be effective and what I think justifies that effectiveness. Um, I get a lot of, of sad letters from people that where unfortunately all I can do is offer moral support and, and you know, maybe $20 or, or $50 of my own. 
Um, but in this particular case, I decided to get involved and to do so in a big way because it just hit me in a bunch of le- le- levels. And I will be honest in saying it wasn't even just about the cats. I really wanted to rescue this woman. And, and I perhaps that is my, you know, that that is perhaps what my my central character flaw. Right. Life does not, you know, that I sometimes do see myself as, as a, or I want to be a rescuer. I want to be the white knight. I want to swoop in and, and save the damsel in distress. Um, and. So I, I suppose maybe that's an ego thing. I don't know. Um, I don't think it is, though. I was really just angry and I wanted to help this woman. And so those of you who have been hanging around with me for a long time and and were part of my online community back in 2015 may remember this, the, the, the West Virginia kittens. Um, the first thing I did was to start a fundraiser and we raised about $20,000 within the first 24 hours. And the second thing that I did, so th- there were basically three things, actually, the, the, the components that I saw for, because this was a sizable effort. It was going to require a lot of resources. It was 40 cats and kittens. All of the cats and kittens were sick. Many of them were pregnant. So within a very short period of time, it was going to be exponentially more than 40. And so this was a serious undertaking. And so obviously money is the first thing that you need. Money, cash, cash on hand, right, gets you a lot of Solves a lot of logistical problems when nothing else will. Um, I also went to shelters, not no kill shelters that I've worked with personally up and down. I mean, really every place, you know, up and down the eastern coast and about as far, I think as far west as Texas. Um, Texas is about as far west as we went uh, because the cats were in West Virginia. But I found shelters that, you know, if I said, look, if I can give you X amount of money per per kitten and have them get their shots and be at least preliminarily vetted in West Virginia before they come to you. How many kittens can you, cats and kittens can you take? And so I got all of these different shelters to commit to three here, six there. And, you know, now, now we're getting to, okay, we have, we, we actually have commitments for slightly more than 40 cats. And then the third thing that I did was I asked my online followers to volunteer to be relay drivers. And I organized people into relay driving teams so that nobody would have to drive from West Virginia to Maine, but a team of people could get some cats from West Virginia to Maine, if Maine is where the cats had to go, or to Texas or to Florida or to New Jersey or to Atlanta um, and or to North Carolina or to South Carolina. And again, there there were a lot of shelters up and down the the line in this one. And the money that we raised was used to get the cats an initial round of vetting, um, to get them their shots, to to buy carriers to transport them in. I mean, because we needed sufficient carriers for all of these cats. Um, and also to reimburse the drivers for fuel and toll and and things like that. Many of them did not take the reimbursement, but we certainly wanted to be able to offer it to them. And I think you know, not having to worry about the expense of paying for gas got us more more drivers for sure. Everything that was left over after all of those expenditures was divided equally per cat. So I forget what it meant, but I think it came out to we had something like five hundred dollars to offer with each cat or kitten that each shelter took. So if you took five cats or kittens, you also got twenty five hundred dollars from this general pot of money. Um, the woman who had come to me, the woman from Texas who had started this whole thing by coming to me with this situation, she also took some kittens and she got whatever it was, the $500 per, 
per kitten. Um, in some cases, I, a couple of the shelters, I, I mean, I ended up putting in a couple of thousand dollars of my own, um, just because it made it easier. So a couple of the shelters ended up with one or two cats who were sicker than they had anticipated. And so they needed a little bit more money. And I, I didn't want it to become an issue or for the shelters, you know, in those cases to feel resentful. Um, but the point being that the money was all spent. We did this as a GoFundMe fundraiser. Obviously, GoFundMe took their cut. Um, I certainly kept receipts for everything. Um, not even, I mean, because I would just do so to keep, I was, you know, spending other people's money. In essence, I mean, the, the money technically was coming to a fundraiser that I had set up, but I always saw this as, as a public trust and I was spending other people's money. Um, but even aside from that, obviously, as far as the IRS is concerned, unless I can show that I have dispersed this money on charitable or business expenditures, um, it becomes taxable income for me. So the point being, I was very, I was meticulous. I, I, I kept meticulous receipts and records um, of all expenditures, of, of everything that was spent. I'm sure the fact that I'm insisting on this gives you a sense of where this is going. So we did this over the summer. Um, I think it was July of 2015. Again, some of you probably remember it. And it was one of the larger, certainly logistical rescue undertakings um, that I've ever been a part of. I was very, very proud of of everybody involved, by the way. And, and I do want to emphasize that before I get to anything negative. Um, I am still incredibly proud. I mean, this to me was... When, when I, you know, I've talked about Homer's heroes for years and, and I talk about rescuers being Homer's heroes, but this is always the kind of thing that I envisioned as being done in Homer's name, a real Homer's heroes undertaking that, that this was real nitty gritty. You know, we, we, it was everything. We raised money. We, we got our hands dirty. Um, I, oh my God, that, you know, all, all the carriers that we ordered, via FedEx, the drivers were going to West Virginia to remove the cats on a Saturday. FedEx was supposed to deliver the carriers on Friday, and we got a message that they weren't going to be able to deliver them until Monday because of blah, 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 blah. And I cannot even tell you how much time I spent with FedEx on the phone Friday night because Monday was going to be too late. And um, they, it, it, it was... Oh, <laughs> A long, I will not take you through all of the travails of this. Uh, I, I spent um, a lot of time on the phone with people in various supervisory capacities at FedEx to the extent that they clearly decided at a certain point that it was much more worth their time to just deliver the carri carriers on Saturday morning than to have to listen to me for the next 48 hours. Um, and so that is eventually what happened. But again, this was, you know, we all got our hands dirty. We all rolled up our sleeves. We all pitched in. A lot of people who couldn't do anything more just threw in $5 or $10, which was fine. I mean, as you can see, tens of thousands of dollars grew from that. And we saved a lot of lives. Um, I think one cat did escape en route, unfortunately, at a rest stop. Um, a couple of the kittens who were very ill just did not make it even past initial vetting. Um, but the vast majority of the cats lived and went to no-kill shelters and were treated and healed and spayed and neutered and vetted up and now live in forever homes and, and have good lives. And it was a great thing that we did and that, that we were a part of. I'm still unbelievably grateful to my readers and, and, and people I hang out with on social media who, who hang out in Homer's community who made this possible. 
And so there was a nice glow that lasted from this for a couple of months. And then it was maybe September, October, where I got an email from someone, not from the woman I had helped, but from someone working with her shelter, um, who basically demanding more money from me, um, saying that I owed their organization money because, um, well, basically there were a few things. I mean, first that, that they were just entitled to more money because their shelter was the one that had started this whole effort in the first place. Also that I had couldn't, that I had stolen some of the money basically. I mean, this is what she was saying that I had stolen, that she claimed that I had stolen some of the money. And if I did not give them more money, this organization, more money, she would publicly tell everyone that I had stolen money from the fundraiser because there's no way that I could have spent all the money and then only had $500 left per cat um, to to go to each of the shelters that took the cats. And, you know, again, I I, I will not go into all the minutia of this. I, I did try communicating at what so actually and, and let me sorry and I'm let me back up. The woman who wrote to me, who was not the the woman who I had saved online, she was just someone who worked with her, she said that I had stolen money and that if I did not give them more money or start a fundraiser for them, she was going to tell the world that I had stolen money from this fundraiser. When I wrote to the woman, I mean, very upset, what's going on? Why is this person claiming to represent you, writing me a letter like this? The woman who who I had initially helped. She was the one who said, you know, I should I should have gotten more money for each cat because I was the one who started this. This was my idea in the first place. And, you know, you you did wrong. You took money. Basically, you stole money from me by distributing this money evenly among all the shelters and among all the cats. And what struck me at the time and and so my response to this, I mean, look, so on the one hand, I had all of my receipts. Uh, but on the other hand, as we all know, once an online rumor gets started, you know, what's the expression? A, a, a lie can can fly all the way around the world while the truth is still getting its boots on. Um, and so although I, I had meticulously documented receipts and paperwork for everything, um, and I was not worried ultimately that any sort of actual fraud allegation would be proven, the truth of the matter is that it, it would have been the end of me, no matter what, if a rumor had started that that I had done this big fundraiser and then pocketed the money. Um, my reputation would have been shot. I mean, this this is not just an a, you know a, an unpleasant experience. <clears throat> Pardon me while I clear my throat. Um, this really could have been the end of everything that I had been working for since two thousand and seven when I had first gotten the idea to to write a story about Homer and to tie that in with with rescue work that I wanted to undertake. Um, you know, what what I had saved this woman potentially from in, in turn, you know, she she was basically threatening to throw me out to the same kind of ugly online mob to throw me out to them, to whip up a mob and then throw me to them that I had saved her from initially. And that was what really struck me about it. Um, in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of how the situation was resolved, um, you know, I, I had my lawyer send a letter to the to the second woman, the woman I had not initially dealt with, the woman who said, give us more money or we're going to tell the Internet that you stole money from the fundraiser. Um, that is, you know, so saying to someone, give me money 
or I will reveal or, or, or make up embarrassing information about you and publicize it um, is the literal definition of extortion, which is a federal crime uh, when conducted across state lines. And so it, it really, you know, my, my lawyer sent a letter um, to that effect, and that seems to quell the whole thing. Um, but it is one of those things that that comes back to me because I, you know, on the one hand, I feel that this is probably the farthest that I have ever gone in terms of assisting an individual, one individual reader. Um, I, I, you know, I've done various things for various readers o- over the years, but this is is certainly probably the biggest undertaking, the biggest logistical undertaking. Um, and and it really, I, and I think it was probably the one time where I was motivated really out of compassion for the person, much more so than for the cats involved. Not that the prospect of the, these 40 cats and these horrible, and this horrible situation did not break my heart. But again, I, I, my whole life is, is, is hearing about heartbreaking situations in which I, I can be of such limited assistance. Um, it, it really, it really was, I just was so angry at the people attacking this woman and the only reason, by the way, that the, the, the nitty gritty of my motivation becomes relevant at all is because it always strikes me that this was the one situation where I got involved. And maybe this is my punishment, right? But this is the, the one situation where I really got involved for the person more than for the animals. And it was also the one situation where I, I mean, this, you know, there's ingratitude and then there's someone just turning on you because she did. She, she just turned on me. And I don't think about it, by the way, I do not think about it at this point um, with any anger or bitterness. So really, the, th- the only thing that still gets me angry are, are the online mob, is the online mob that was attacking her in the first place for, again, having come up with, with an awful but, but under the circumstances understandable solution to the problem. Um, but I feel like there's something essential about human nature here that I should be figuring out and and haven't quite figured out because she's probably I mean, again, I, this is the person who I did the most for and also the only person who's who has ever just like turned. I mean, she turned on me. There's no question about that. And so I I sometimes try to imagine why, you know, maybe she I, I mean, the money obviously affects everything. You, you split it up. You're grateful at the time. And then, I mean, that's the classic story. But then later on, the, you're, everyone's little Iago, you know, that, that, that greedy little voice in your head starts saying, well, why should so-and-so get the same amount of money as you? I mean, you did more work and you're more important and you're a better person and you're more special. And isn't that person just kind of taking your money, even though you agreed to this split? But, I mean, we're, wasn't your arm really kind of twisted to force you into agreeing to a split that you didn't want to agree to in the first place? And, you know... So everybody, when there's money involved, that and and there was initially a lot of money raised. It very quickly went in a lot of different directions, um, but that certainly is an understandable part of it. it. Was just the fact that there was money involved probably ended up breeding its own resentment, and maybe that's all it is. You know, maybe it's just a question of of after the fact greed. That's something you were grateful for at the time. When you have a couple of months to think about it, you start ruminating on on maybe I maybe I got screwed after all. Um, but you know, it's just interesting in in light of reading the this this one commentator whose take on it was in the Varian Fry situation that these people turned on him because 
they they had to be grateful to him because there was so much gratitude that the gratitude eventually soured or curdled into a kind of 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 despising of the person and so i i wonder if if that is part of it too um it could just be greed it could be all greed it could be just a matter of this one woman and she had uh, somebody working with her at her shelter who said, you got screwed out of the money and, and really was persistent in telling her repeatedly, you got screwed, you got screwed, you got screwed until she started to believe it again, you know, in, in Iago kind of situation. Iago, by the way, the character from the Shakespearean play Othello, who keeps telling Othello, your wife's cheating on you, your wife's cheating on you, your wife's cheating on you until Othello believes it and kills his wife, who is innocent. Um and and so something like that, like she was sort of an Iago, you know, you got screwed, you got screwed, you got screwed until this woman believed it. And and I suppose that's possible. I don't know. Like I said, it's I, I like to feel that I good or bad. I learn from everything that that I have done or that has happened to me over the course of my increasingly longer life. Um, and this is one that comes back to me because I'm not sure that I've learned everything from it that I'm supposed to learn. And curious if any of you have any thoughts or insights on the nature of gratitude or, or gratitude that curdles into dislike, or if it's just, if, if, if it's true that money just messes up everything and, and once there are large sums of money involved, it's inevitable that people will, will get a little greedy or a little ugly or I don't know. Any thoughts you might have? Um, but that is, I guess, today's cattail. Which means that it is time to conclude today's episode with one last ditch pitch. Uh, please, please, please check out my new book, You Are Possum, 75 Reasons Why Your Cats Love You and Why Loving Them Back Makes You a Better Human. Thanks so much for listening, and I will talk to all of you next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.